slain, uh, and we are here to worship uh, him this morning. Uh, so I am glad that you are here to do so. Uh, I am uh, honored uh, to preach this morning. Uh, usually I, I give announcements, and uh, if I didn't know any better, I would think that Stuart was uh, gunning for my job. Uh, your announcements in 30 seconds or less, or they're free. Uh, but they were free for you, so that's fine. doesn't really matter anyway. But uh, hopefully you do know what's going on, how you can be involved. Uh, one of the things uh, that I uh, get to do each month that I love doing is uh, present you with a new book for the book table. Uh, and this month it is this little book right here. It's called Evangelism. Uh, and many of you probably tuned right on out because you're thinking, I'm not going to read a book on evangelism. But let me tell you, this book is phenomenal. Uh, it will help you uh, in your discipline of evangelism. Uh, short book, uh, and it is very clear, very concise. It's, uh, the whole title is Evangelism, How the Whole Church Speaks of Jesus. Uh, and so we are, we are here gathered together to worship Jesus, the Lamb who was slain. Uh, but we go from this place each and every week to go speak of Jesus. Uh, and so if you maybe feel inadequate to do that, uh, if, if you are not sure uh, what all is required of you, a uh, quick little definition from him for evangelism. He says, evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Short, simple, helpful. Uh, I, would, I would highly recommend uh, that you pick this up. There's quite a few down there on the book table, and I, well, I have probably 15 or 20 more at home. Um, so if you want this book, I can get it to you, uh, and I hope and ask that you would read it. Um, I'm, I'm willing to give this book to somebody right now if they want. Kimber, all right. <coughs> Thank you, sir. With that being said, we are continuing in our study of the Gospel of Mark, uh, marked for a mission, uh, speaking of Jesus and why he came to earth and what he calls us to do because of that. Uh, and so we will be opening God's Word together uh, to study from Mark chapter 10. Uh, but before we do that, um, we need to, to go before God to ask uh, for his help uh, in this time. So I would ask that you would join me in prayer. Let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the ability to meet here. We thank you for your word, that we have it in our language and can read it. Uh, and can know you through it. We thank you most of all for Christ. The lamb who was slain in our place. And God, it is, it is him that we are here to, to lift up and to magnify this morning. Uh, it's him that we are here to exalt. And then as we go from this place, it's him that we are called to speak of. I do pray, God, that you would be with us in all of those things, that you would help us, God, as we open your word to see 
the risen Christ and to see what he calls us to. And God, I ask that you would remove any distractions that might uh, be on our minds, uh, that we might focus solely on you for these next couple of minutes together uh, as we open up your word and hear you speak. We thank you again for this time. I thank you, God, for these people and ask uh, that we would be helped, we would be encouraged, we would be challenged and convicted by your word in the power of your spirit here this morning. And God, that you would, uh, that you would shine, uh, that your glory would be made known, uh, and that our song truly would be uh, all honor and glory and power to you. For you alone are worthy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask all of these things. Amen. I invite you now to turn open, hopefully you're there, to Mark chapter 32. Uh, sorry, Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 32. Mark doesn't have a chapter 32. Uh, it'll be up on the screen. If, if by chance you came here this morning and just don't own a Bible, don't have a Bible with you, um, there are Bibles on the front table, I think, um, but if not, we can get you one. We would love for you to have that so that you can have uh, a copy of God's Word uh, to study it and know uh, the God of the Word. Uh, so with that being said, uh, up on the screen or in your laps, follow along. Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 32 through 45. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. 
But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think we get a clear picture from this text of why Jesus came. We see that he came with purpose. And we're going to talk about those in just a second. But the thing that I love about Jesus, a lot of things, obviously, but the things that he expects from us, he models for us. And so I, I grew up in a tradition, uh, a church that, that practiced foot washing. Twice a year we would gather together for love feasts. Anyone, anyone else maybe had a, gone to a love feast? Uh, you get together to wash one another's, one another's feet. So in the evening we, we would come together, we would meet downstairs for a small meal. Uh, there was delicious rolls and, and cheese and all of this, but a small meal together before we would then partake of communion together, and then from there, uh, go upstairs to wash one another's feet. And it was, it, it was always memorable. Uh, I, can, I can look back on those experiences of, of going to the love feasts and say, you know, that, that was something that I will remember for a long time. Uh, for more reasons than I, I still hold the record for biggest feet uh, that my pastor at the time had ever washed. Uh, but, but more so because it is a humbling experience. And, and that's, that's what service is. Service is humbling. I remember almost, almost every time bending down to wash someone's feet, being humbled in this unique act of service. And that's what Jesus did to his disciples in John chapter 13. And when he did it, he reminded us and models for us with great clarity that we are to serve in this way, with great humility and consideration for others. But not only that, it was a vivid reminder of how our Savior served us. He bent down to wash the feet of the disciples to show what he says in verse 45. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And so that, I think, is what we see in the text this morning. That Jesus came to serve, and, and he did it in, in many different ways with one purpose. And so I want to look, look at our text, kind of break it down just a little bit here, to see and, and gain, glean from this text five reasons that Jesus came to earth. So the first one that we will see, number one, Jesus came to suffer. <clears throat> Jesus came to suffer. And, and as Jesus is speaking, uh, as Jesus is, is presenting who he is, he is seeing himself 
as the suffering servant. Uh, the Old Testament prophets are, are looking forward uh, to this Messiah that is yet to come. And, and there's this theme of, of this Messiah will be a suffering servant. And Jesus sees himself as that suffering servant. And, and even so in our text. See, we are going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him. He is definitely coming to suffer. Not only that, but he, per, he foretells in very clear detail how he is going to suffer. Like, like I just read, they will mock him, they will spit on him, they will flog him, they will kill him. And this is what Jesus is going to Jerusalem to do. He's walking with his disciples... And he's walking in front of them. Mark, Mark makes it pretty clear. Uh, he says, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. Now, that was a common practice for rabbis of the day. For, for the teacher to walk in front, and then all of the disciples to, to kind of follow behind. A model of discipleship, really. Where the, the, the teacher leads and models how to follow. And then those behind follow. But I think Mark is saying something more than that. And I think he's, he's helping us to see just the, the veracity with which Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem. He is pressing on toward his goal to the amazement of his disciples. They're following behind and they know something is going on. They are amazed. And, and there's many people who are following. They're all heading up to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. So he's got his disciples, and then he's got uh, a whole other crowd behind him. And it says that, that those who followed were afraid. Not really sure what they were afraid of, but they see, too, that something is going on. And I think that's, that's the point that Mark is trying to make in saying that Jesus walks in front of his disciples, that he is pressing toward his goal. So then for the third time in the Gospel of Mark, since chapter 8, uh, Jesus is looking forward to his death. He is looking forward to what is yet to come. Now a little side note about this, there are three instances where Jesus fore foretells of his death. And in all three of them, the pattern is the same. And we will we'll see it as we break down our text this morning. But it goes a little something like this. Jesus foretells his death. The disciples misunderstand. And then Jesus teaches them about discipleship. Uh, so if we go back uh, to, to chapter 931. Jesus is teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And then 32 says, But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask. And it goes on to, to have a similar conversation then between the disciples, who is the greatest. Uh, in, in chapter 8, uh, we see after Jesus foretells his death that Peter rebukes him, and says, Jesus, you, you don't know what you're talking about. 
And, and Jesus famously says, get behind me, Satan, and all of these things. So, so Jesus foretells his death. The, the disciples don't get it. And then he corrects their thinking by teaching them on discipleship. And so when we come to this sort of repetition, this is the third time that, that we've seen it in the Gospel of Mark. I think as much it is, as it is for the disciples who missed it the first two times, it's for us. Because maybe we've missed it the first two times. And so in this particular instance of Jesus foretelling his death, he again says, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Jesus knows his purpose. He knows what he's going to do. He knows that he's going to suffer. And in chapter 10, it's the most detailed explanation of, of how he is going to suffer and how he is going to be killed. So he obviously knows what he's walking into. He knows that he's going to Jerusalem to die. And yet, he presses forward, even to the amazement of his disciples. And I, and I think that's because not only does he know, he, he knows what's waiting for him, but he knows, this is why I came to this earth. He knows that he came to earth to suffer and to be killed. There are some who say that, that this passage is so specific and so detailed in how Jesus foretells that he's going to die that, that it must be some sort of later edition or it must be even, some go as far to say, fake. And so for them, it's, it's easier for them to just disregard it than to think of why Jesus came. And so let's, let's think about the claim for a minute that, that this, is, this is fake. Firstly, I think the most simple refutation of this is Jesus is God. So he knows. And, and God's knowledge is not something that he learns. His knowledge is because he has determined this to happen. And so he is walking toward Jerusalem, knowing what is in front of him. So he, he's God. He would know. Secondly, though, Jesus was definitely a student of the Old Testament. Not only that, because he is the Messiah, and the one whom the Old Testament is looking forward to, he is actually the subject and the point of the Old Testament passages. So I, I just want to I just want to read um, a, a couple of these, just to kind of show you why Jesus would know. Uh, Isaiah fifty two uh, says, <clears throat> "As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred, beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind." So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For, what, for that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. So his appearance is so marred. Jesus is saying in Mark chapter 10 that they are going to flog him. 
And he knows that because he has read Isaiah 52 or even um, Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He was despised, we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus knows why he's going to Jerusalem. Or, or even Psalm 22. He says, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. This is, I think this is a thousand years before crucifixion was even invented. And this prophecy is, is predicting what Jesus is going to go through in his suffering. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. Does that sound familiar? We can, we can read that and, and know the story of the crucifixion, how it happened, and see that Jesus fulfilled those prophecies. We can take also from that that he knew what he was walking into. The Jews of that day, and even to this day, do not apply those texts to Jesus. Because they don't see him as the Messiah. But he knew that he was, and we know that he is. And we know that, that those passages, for example, are describing the suffering that he was going to go through on our behalf. Because he knew that he came to suffer. And so, so think of this for a second then. Jesus willingly walked into the jaws of suffering and death on our behalf. He knows why he's going to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to suffer. But he knows that it is in his suffering that he will save. And so the second thing that we take from our text this morning, the reason why Jesus came, Jesus came to save. And so picture, picture with me the scene for a little bit. You've got Jesus walking in front of the disciples, being followed uh, by a large crowd behind them, and he has just taken his disciples aside to teach them about discipleship, to teach them about following Christ and, and specifically why he has come. James and John just heard this explanation from Jesus, that he came and, he, and they were going to mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him, and after three days he will rise. And the next thing that we see in the text, James and John come to him and say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. They just don't get it. Jesus has just described why he has come to this earth. And James and John are more concerned with what they think they can get out of it. Their question reveals that, that they don't get it. They still think that Jesus is, is on his way to Jerusalem to establish his messianic reign, 
where he was going to capture the city by military force and reign as king. Because that's what, that's what they were expecting. That's what Jews were expecting of him. That he would restore kingdom to Israel. And that he would reign as their king. So that's, that's why James and John ask. They say, when you are in your glory, can we sit at your left and your right hand? If Jesus is ruling as king, the, the, the two sitting on his right and left are going to be the ones in power. So, so what are James and John asking for? They are searching for position, for power, and for prominence. But what they don't understand is that is not what Jesus came to give. We just saw what Jesus came to do. He explains it to them. He came to save. And he was going to do it by suffering. But James and John are looking for the salvation without the suffering. They want it by power and force. Before we write off James and John as not getting it, though, maybe we should look at our own lives. Maybe we should look at our own hearts to see where we just don't get it. So let's do that for just a second here. Examine your own heart. Think about your prayers. Do they sound more like James and John demanding glory? Or do your prayers sound more like a desperate cry to God to work for His glory? An examination of, of our prayer lives will show that we are not that unlike James and John in their question. At least my prayer life would. How often I find myself just, just praying for a list of things that will benefit me instead of praying and crying out desperately to God to work for His glory. Because the things that, that we pray for re reveal whose glory that we are truly after. And we must always be about God's glory. Maybe also you could think of your life, how you live your life, what you, what you live it for, and ask the question, are you more characterized by a demand for position or power or prominence, or do you humbly seek to serve others? Are you looking for what you can get, or are you looking for what you can give others. Because Jesus responds to James and John in their request for what they can get by saying, you don't know what you're asking. You don't understand what this entails. Because if that is their demand, if that is what they truly want, they too must suffer as Jesus is about to suffer. He asks them if they are able to drink the cup that he will drink, or if they will 
are able to be baptized with the baptism he is to be baptized with. So, so both of those things are pointing to the cross. Uh, we, we can look at Jesus' prayer in uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's, he's pleading with God, take this cup from me. What is that cup? It's the full wrath of God that is about to be poured out on him on the cross. And Jesus is asking them if they can handle that. He's saying if, if power and position is what you want, this is how you're going to have to get it. You too must go to the cross and drink the full cup of God's wrath. But really what he's revealing in that response to them is that he, he simply did not come to give what they're asking for. And that's what James and John don't get. They don't get that you can't have salvation without suffering. So, so they're, what they're looking for is glory without the cross. But we, we should know that without the cross, there is no glory. If, if Jesus would not have gone to the cross to be baptized or, or covered with or immersed in the full cup of God's wrath, not only would there be no position, power, or prominence for James and John, but there would be no salvation for us. And Jesus knows that, that he came to save. And he knows how he came to save. He was going to save by suffering for us in our place to take the full wrath of God that we deserve. Because our sin incurred a debt that we simply cannot afford. But Jesus paid it all by suffering in our place, by taking on the full wrath of God for us. And obviously, James and John can't suffer in that way. They can't uh, have the kind of uh, propitiatory sacrifice. They can't remove the wrath of God as Jesus can, because Jesus is perfect. And, and we need someone who is perfect to take the penalty for us, but not only that, but to give us his perfection. But he does tell James and John, you're going to suffer. It's not going to be in the same way that I suffer under the full wrath of God, but you are going to suffer. And it doesn't take long for James. By Acts chapter 12, he's beheaded. He's martyred for the faith. And I think that's because he's living in service for others with no regard for himself. He is simply uh, trying to model what Christ modeled for us. And he dies for that. John, uh, John was not martyred, but it was not for lack of trying. They tried to boil him alive, and he survived. Uh, and so when he survived, they exile him to Patmos, uh, where he writes the book of Revelation and eventually dies 
But they do undergo a certain amount and a certain kind of suffering. They will not suffer under the full wrath of God like Christ did because he did that for them and for us. But they will suffer. And so we too are called to suffer. Again, it's not going to be under the full wrath of God. We will not be baptized with the cup uh, that Jesus was baptized with. Uh, We will not drink the cup uh, that Jesus drank. We will not be baptized uh, in the way that Jesus was baptized because he did that for us. But he does say that that we will suffer. Uh, But he promises that if we suffer with him, we will be also glorified with him. Because he knows that That his suffering is what brings about our salvation. It's the the, uh, agony of the cross that brings about the glory uh, of heaven. And so Jesus knows that he came to save. And he knows that he's going to have to do it by suffering for us in our place. So the third thing that we see, third thing that we take from this text this morning is that Jesus came to show us how to live. And like I said in the beginning, Jesus models for us what he expects from us. And so James and John come to him asking this question, Teacher, we want you to do whatever it is that we ask of you. And we've seen that they want position, They want power. They want prominence. But then Jesus goes on to correct their thinking. To show that that true greatness, to show that kingdom greatness comes only through service. Unlike the worldly leaders mentioned in verse 42 who are lording their authority over those under them. And they're using their power, their position, their prominence to, to get all that they desire. They're looking out, again, for, for what they want, what they can get. But Jesus says that's not how it should be among us. We must not be like the worldly leaders in verse 42. We must see ourselves as servants. This is what Jesus modeled for us and what he expects from us. And so Jesus is saying here, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must serve. And if we were honest, we probably would would not prefer that. We probably would prefer that greatness came through power. Or greatness came through position or prominence. We would prefer that, that, that we didn't have to humble ourselves in order to become great. But Jesus is saying that authority and power are not seen as great service is. And, and Jesus even goes as far to say that that kind of thinking, the kind of thinking mentioned in verse 42, 
lording authority over them. In verse 30, 43, he corrects them by saying, but it shall not be so among you. So that, that kind of thinking shouldn't even exist in our minds. We should be focused on serving and what we can give, not what we can get. Our greatness in the kingdom will only be equal to our service. And Jesus gives us the best example of that in himself. You know, he not only models this kind of service, but, but he continues in his service. One commentator says this, in this passage, Jesus delivered the stunning summary of all his teaching on servanthood in the Gospel of Mark. He gave the disciples the supreme example of servanthood himself. And they had seen him serve. They had seen him touch the unclean. They had seen him heal the multitudes. They had even seen him feed the thousands. And before it was over, they would see him wash the grime from their feet. They had seen the only one who truly deserved to be called Lord place himself in humble service to others. That's the kind of thinking that, that should exist in our hearts. That if, if, if we truly desire the kind of greatness that Jesus is talking about, our mindset is humble service to others. So Jesus came to show us how to live. He models that for us. And he models the fourth thing uh, in that is that Jesus came to serve. So think, think of this for a second. The creator of all things. The only one great enough to demand being served is instead modeling service as the way to greatness. That's, that's completely backwards to what uh, the world would teach us. Th that Jesus is literally the greatest person who has ever lived. He is the only one who is great enough to demand everyone else serve him. And yet, he models service to others. And it is a simple yet deep Reality that completely reverses how we think about greatness. That yes, he is the only one great enough to demand this, but he is modeling service to others. So, th so think of it in these ways. Jesus did not come to be served by you. He came to serve you. Jesus did not come to be helped by you. He came to help you. And Jesus did not come to be waited on by you. He came to wait on you. Jesus came to be our suffering servant. By becoming man to provide salvation for us. He, he rightly could have demanded service, to be waited on hand and foot 
But instead, that is what he models for us, that he is serving others. So we could say it this way, the one who deserves to be served came to serve. And the kind of service that we're talking about, I think is best seen in the cross. That the perfect and spotless lamb who had no sin of his own went to the cross to suffer and die in our place. He took our sin and paid the debt that we could not afford and gave us his righteousness. So so when we think about the service of Jesus in our lives, we need that in the deepest sense of the word. We need him to serve us in this way. We need him to go to the cross in our place to suffer and die so that we might have right relationship with God. And we need to see then also that he is not the servant that James and John expect him to be. He doesn't come giving position, power, and prominence. In other words, he's not the kind of servant that we get to tell what to do. That's not the kind of servant Jesus is to us. He's the kind of servant that meets our needs, and specifically our most deep need, the deepest need that we have, and that is to be restored into relationship with God. Since since the garden, uh, the relationship has been broken. Sin has entered the world, and we are no longer... Uh, in the kind of relationship that existed within the garden, but Jesus comes to restore that. And he met that need, the deepest need that we have, by being our substitute. So the fifth reason we see from our text of why Jesus came, Jesus came to be our substitute. Verse 45 says it clearly. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Without Christ, we would stand under the weight of our sin and the wrath of God would rest fully and rightly on us and we would deserve death. And yet, Jesus comes and serves us by being our substitute to take what we owe, the penalty we could not afford that our sin incurred, the weight that we stand under, and and having the wrath of God fully on our heads, Jesus comes and pays that for us. When's the last time that, that maybe you were overwhelmed by that? But the fact that, that Jesus came to be your substitute. Jesus came to suffer. But he came to suffer as our substitute so that he could save. And so that we could learn to live as he did in, in service to others. 
So three things in closing application. The first thing that, that we do, because of the things that we've talked about so far from this text, firstly, we submit to Jesus' authority. We are servants of Jesus. But remember, not servants uh, in the sense of, of you know, we can uh, meet any of his needs. Uh, Acts 17.25 would, would correct that thinking. Uh, God does not dwell in temple made by man. He has no needs that we would serve him. But, but our service to Jesus is because of his authority. So because he reigns and rules over all as Lord and King, we gladly give our lives in service to his purpose. And we do that by submitting to his authority. Next, we trust Jesus to serve us. Jesus' service to us allows our obedience to him. And so, so just to kind of think about these scenarios for a second. Maybe God has called you to give up everything. Or maybe God has called you to love a spouse who seems most unlovable. Or maybe he has called you to, to, to leverage your singleness for the kingdom. Whatever it may be, whatever situation you may be facing, Jesus serves us in those situations by sustaining us through them. And so trust Jesus to serve you in that way. Trust that he is enough. And thirdly, we exalt Jesus by serving others. Our service to others demonstrates his sacrifice for us. We're called to live uh, in a way that we seek to give to others. And I think kind of the, the coolest thing about this is that we get a, a glimpse into the life of John at a later time when, when, he had, when, when he really truly gets what Jesus is saying here. Because when we come to, to 1 John chapter 3, uh, John writes this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Jesus gets, or, sorry, John gets what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to service of others. And so in all of this, may we be like our suffering servant and exalt him by serving others. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for what you have called us to, and we ask, God, that you would uh, strengthen us to do it. Help us uh, to see Christ and help us to uh, model uh, the life that he lived and exalt him by doing so. God, we love you, we praise you, we thank you, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.